Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad to have you back again today. Well, this is lesson number 12, the final lesson this quarter as we've been looking at managing for the master till he comes. We've come quite a distance. We've talked about a number of subjects along the way. We've looked at success. We've looked at tithe. We've looked at offerings. We've looked at how to care for the poor. And today we're going to be taking a look at the rewards of faithfulness. What are the rewards that await those who have been faithful stewards of all God has given them? That's what we're going to take a look at today. With us again is the author of the Sabbath School lesson, Ed Reed. He is an ordained minister and also a licensed attorney. He's been involved in stewardship for over 30 years, and he has been a blessing as we've studied week by week. Before we ask him about this week's lesson, though, let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you again for being with us as you have for the last quarter, and we ask that you'll bless us as we study this final lesson in the series so that we can see what success truly looks like and the rewards that you have for the faithful. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, thanks for being with us once again. Well, we've had a good time together, and thank you for inviting me back. Oh, we're delighted to have you. Let's talk about this week's lesson. The memory text is from Matthew 25 and verse 21. It says this, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. When we look at some of the stories, as we have looked uh, at them this quarter, we think of people like Abraham, we think of people like Moses, we think about people like Paul, who were and, and could have been very successful in the secular world. But they gave all that up to follow God. What, why would they do that? Well, they did actually a Ben Franklin list, Eric. They decided what are the pros and what are the cons for doing what? the world offers and what does God offer? And the simple answer is they did it in hope of the reward because God promised them something amazing and not only a blessed life here and a more abundant life, but offer, uh, rewards out of this world literally. So huge rewards that God has offered for those who are faithful to him. And Abraham, Moses, Paul, and many others saw that. I want to read a passage here from the book of, of Psalms and, uh, and have you comment on it, Ed. This is a Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to read through this fairly quickly. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then it finishes with this uh, statement. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Those sound like encouraging words. Yes, indeed. And the amazing thing about it is it's talked about a great reward. To me, it's, it's interesting that this is not legalistic. It's just simply that God said, if you, fall, if you take up your side of the contract, you'll be blessed in this life, and you'll have a, a future life to be blessed with as well. And it's interesting that in the Bible, the word reward is used over a hundred times. And the last mention of it, rewards, is in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, verse 12, where he says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. 
In other words, there are some people who say, I don't care if I have a mansion in heaven or not. If I just live in a little tent, it's going to be fine with me. I just want to get there. But that's not the reward. The Lord himself promised us mansions, and that's the interesting part. So no one's going to just get there. The bottom line is we get there as a result of our faithfulness, and God's going to reward us accordingly. So Jesus has promised to bring a reward. Uh, Certainly mansions are involved in that, living in the presence of God, being able to thank Jesus personally, eternal life, so many different rewards. Uh, Sunday's lesson talks about rewards again, the reward for faithfulness. How are rewards associated with faithfulness? Well, this is interesting because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. So we want to talk about what faithfulness means. We all know that the faith chapter is Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 6 states, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So that's the first constituent element to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if we diligently seek him, he's going to be a rewarder also. So it's interesting, Moses is a good example of this. We're going to talk about two or three others that are in there. These have to be Old Testament characters because it was written in the New Testament, so they didn't include themselves in it. But I can just tell you something interesting, that Moses is a good example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So he knew that the things on this earth were only temporary esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So he had his eyes on the reward. So I'm going to give you a little illustration now. We're doing this for for the first quarter of 2023, but 2022, where we are while recording, is interesting because a hundred years ago, one of the greatest archaeological finds of all time was discovered by an English archaeologist named Howard Carter. He discovered King Tut's tomb, and this is incredible because more than 4,000 solid gold artifacts came out of that tomb, including a solid gold coffin or sarcophagus, solid gold mask. Many of you have seen pictures of it. You can go on the internet easily, King Tut's tomb, and it shows you right there what it was. We understand that because he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, that Moses was in line for royalty. But he chose rather than to suffer with, to suffer with God's people there because he knew about the rewards. So what could Moses have had if he had stayed in Egypt? Well, maybe royalty, a pleasant life without much expenses and so on. And the interesting thing is that he would have been honored in his burial. He, for example, could have been buried in a pyramid in a tomb with solid gold and all of that. But right now he would be a mummy in the Cairo Museum, and that would be the end of Moses. But the interesting part is he actually went with God's people and put up with all their murmuring and complaining and stiff-necked actions and so on. But God rewarded him by resurrecting him from the dead and taking him to heaven. We know he did that because it's mentioned that in the book of Judah in the New Testament. But beyond that, he was there at the transfiguration with Elijah. Incredible as it may seem, eternity is in his hands now. God honored him with that. So he, he, it was a good decision, in my opinion. He was much rewarded for that decision. You take a look at what he could have had, and most people would be pretty satisfied to have the riches and the wealth of Egypt. But Moses said, no, that's, that's a pittance compared to what is actually waiting for me. And, and he set his sights much higher than anything that, uh, that even Egypt had in store for him. 
I'd like to read some some passages here from a book called The Great Controversy. These are found on pages 674 and 675. It says, A fear of making the future inheritance seem too material has led many to spiritualize away the very truths which lead us to look upon it as our home. Christ assured his disciples that he went to prepare mansions for them in the Father's house. Those who accept the teachings of God's word will not be wholly ignorant concerning the heavenly abode. And yet eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Human language is inadequate to describe the reward of the righteous. It will be known only to those who behold it. No finite mind can comprehend the glory of the paradise of God. In the Bible, the inheritance of the saved is called a country. In Hebrews eleven fourteen to 16 there the heavenly shepherd leads his flock to fountains of living waters. The tree of life yields its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the service of the nations. There are ever-flowing streams, clear as crystal, and beside them waving trees cast their shadows upon the paths prepared for the ransomed of the Lord. There the wide-spreading plains swell into hills of beauty, and the mountains of God rear their lofty summits. Of those peaceful plains, beside those living streams, God's people, so long pilgrims and wanderers, shall find a home. In Hebrews 11, The famous faith chapter, Paul states, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. After discussing the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham and Sarah, Paul notes, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So they didn't get to see the realization, but in faith they looked forward to the reward that God had for them. Their whole earthly life, Eric, was faithfulness, even though they didn't receive the reward, but they will get the reward, and we're going to see what that is in their life in just a few minutes. It's interesting that in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he begins it with the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes stated, Blessed are you when they shall revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. There's a reward for the righteous, and we could ask, what are they? Well, John 3.16 gives one of them. There's only two choices in life, and that is seeking eternal life or or planning on perishing. John 3.16 says if we believe in the Lord Jesus, we're going to have eternal life saved up for us. Romans 6.23 says something similar. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So having the hope of eternal life is an awesome thing that we can live with all through our earthly life as well. So for the righteous, it looks, the reward looks like eternal life. For the wicked, eh, well, unfortunately, it's not something uh, that desirable. But ultimately, God does give us the option. He gives us the privilege to be able to choose whether we want eternal life or ultimately destruction. You know, the, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says that we'll either have eternal life or we will perish. And, uh, and perish certainly doesn't sound like much of, a, well, much of a reward that we would want in comparison with eternal life. But God in his mercy and his love makes those two options available to each one of us. We've been looking this quarter at what success looks like at financial success, at at preparing for the future, at at providing for the means to spread the gospel around the world. And God gives us, entrusts to us, 
the means that we have, the finances that we have, so that we can learn, we can grow, we can build our characters, we can be successful in many different ways in this life, and we can be a blessing to others so that they can get to know Jesus as well. I trust that you have enjoyed this quarter's lessons. We're not done with this lesson yet, but I want to give you one final opportunity. If for some reason you have put off doing something that you know you should have done a long time ago, Here's one more opportunity to pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It is entitled Managing for the Master by, of course, G. Edward Reed, and you can find that at itiswritten.shop. Once again, that's itiswritten.shop. You want to pick this up. Don't let this slip by without picking it up, and you will be blessed. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue taking a look at the rewards of faithfulness. We will be right back. It's called the Faith Chapter. Many of the luminaries of Bible history mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 for the great faith in God that they demonstrated. Join me for great chapters of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, and learn how you can have great faith, saving faith in a great God. You'll discover that many of the great men and women of faith were flawed people, faulty people who on occasion made terrible mistakes. And you'll be encouraged to know that God can use flawed and faulty people to do His work in a great way. Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Gideon, and so many more. It's the roll call of the faithful. Don't miss great chapters of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 on It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is, itiswritten.study. Go online to itiswritten.study, and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. It is written dot study. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're taking a look at the rewards of faithfulness. And one of the rewards that Jesus gives us, that promises us, those who are faithful to him in this life, is described in John 14, verses 1 through 3. I'd like to share that with you. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So, Ed, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and it looks like a pretty decent place. What do you think? Plus, he's coming back. And it was his idea that he talked to us about mansions. That's not some pie-in-the-sky idea that we've come up with. You know, skeptics say that religion is the opiate of the people, that they think there's pie-in-the-sky by-and-by and so on. 
These are words of Jesus I wanted to include in here because he says, I'm coming back for you. There's a mansion for you in the kingdom. This is his idea. So this idea of a, of a mansion for us that he's preparing for us in the kingdom, that leads us to Tuesday's lesson, the New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is a, is a picture of a city that is far beyond uh, any of our wildest imaginations. I've been to some pretty uh, incredible homes around the world, castles and so forth. Uh, you think of Versailles, you think of Neuschwanstein and, and other places like that. I have a feeling that this is going to leave them all behind. What, what was it that motivated Abraham and Sarah to leave an established home, a place that they had, and, and live the rest of their lives essentially in a tent? You know, Jesus promises something fantastic. They didn't see that really in their lives. The interesting thing about that is there is some motivation for it. And believe it or not, I'm going to give Sarah credit to it because she was willing to go along with it. And her name is mentioned in the faith chapter as well. So this is amazing. This couple were willing to leave their established home, their friends and their roots and so on, and travel to a foreign country and uh, to essentially live in a tent the rest of their life. There were some amazing uh, things that happened as a result of that. Abraham's encounters with God and so on. But what made him faithful was recorded in Hebrews 11 verse 10. Why he was willing to do that? For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The only city mentioned in the Bible that talks about its foundations is the New Jerusalem that's described in Revelation 21. So I'm going to tell you something interesting. Eternal life that we talked about in John 3.16 and John 14.1-3 is not more of the same we've had on this earth. It is eternal life based on the fourth verse of Revelation 21 with no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Would you like to live in a place like that? This is incredible. And then the city is described. It's incredible, the beautiful city. It's, it's amazing. It talks about 12 foundations all covered with precious stones of different kinds and so on. Walls of jasper. I mean, if you could only imagine this, 12 gates and each gate was one pearl huge, I mean, big enough for a semi to drive through and a big pearl. This is crazy. Not that we're bringing semis with us, you understand, but something big for huge crowds of people. Also, the city itself is pure gold and the streets are paved with gold. You can imagine the light is the light of Jesus and the Father and it shines through the whole city. It's, it's just incredible. The tree of life is there. Do I need to say more? The tree of life is there. The water of life, the pure crystal water. Today we know mostly about polluted waters here and we have to strain our water and we know there's even some cities that have awful water here in America today. But the interesting thing is God's throne is there and he's the light. To me this is incredible. That's what motivated him to go forward and them to live there even though they didn't receive it. Even though they were told that their, their, their seed will be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea. Of course, that's true today, but it wasn't for him then. But he was by faith. He was always faithful. He's called the father of the faithful because he had his eyes on the prize. He had his eyes on the reward that God offered him. And we look at those rewards, and if we are thinking people, we want those. We want to inherit those. We want to, to move into that city, to make our abode there, and to be surrounded by these incredible things. Uh, they sound a whole lot better than what we have here on this earth, regardless of where we might live. On Wednesday's lesson, it talks about the settling of accounts. We want to make it to the reward that God has for us, but there's, there's some accounts that need to be settled first. And Jesus tells us a, a story, a parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 19. 
about somebody who's traveling into a far country. Uh, what is the purpose of this parable? What does it all mean? What can we learn from it? And what does it really mean to settle accounts? This is a good question because Jesus' disciples came to him privately in Matthew 24, verse 3, and said, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? So Jesus gave a private discourse to his faithful disciples, whom he loved dearly and was going to leave soon. And an incredibly thing, he says, here's what you're going to expect to see in the world. And this is Matthew 24. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, all kinds of things like that. And the gospel is going to all the world and then Jesus will come. But then Matthew 25, where he tells the stories of the ten virgins and the talents and the sheep and the goats, that's talking about what's like in the church just before he comes. Because remember the ten virgins, they were five foolish and five uh, wise. All of them professed the truth. All of them are waiting for the bridegroom, but the foolish ones didn't have the Holy Spirit to transform their lives. So they're all part of his servants. And since you asked the question about the talents, this is incredible because he, this master who's going to a far country called his own servants and gave it to him. He's not talking about the money that the, poor, the, the wicked people have. It's the money that God's people have had. And this is incredible when you think about it because he gave one five and one two and one one. And the ones that had the, the, the most doubled their amounts and were blessed and were given responsibilities in heaven and so on. But believe it or not, the guy with the one talent was the one unfaithful one. So everybody's got at least one talent. Let me just tell you something interesting. If you work your whole life in your earning years and you just make minimum wage, you're going to make more than a million dollars. Should you give an account of that? Of course. The amazing thing is he was unfaithful. So he was cast out. That's pretty sad when you think about it. But I want to tell you that God's told us that the parable of the talents, and it's recorded in volume, uh, Testimonies of the Church, volume 1, page 97. I was shown the parable of the talents is not fully understood. This important lesson was given to the disciples, remember this private meeting with Jesus, for the benefit of Christians living in the last days. In these talents do not represent merely the ability to preach and to instruct in the word of God, the parable applies to the temporal means which God has entrusted to his people. So when he comes back to settle accounts, it's kind of like, well, tell me what you've done with what I've entrusted to you. So it's kind of a judgment day, if you please. So God is going to hold us accountable for the, the things that he has given to us, including uh, temporal means, as you just mentioned. Yes. Uh, worth considering uh, when we decide where we want to spend that money. Thursday's lesson, Eyes on the Prize. Thursday talks about Paul, and Paul went through the ringer. Uh, He went through beatings, stoning, prison, shipwreck, hunger, cold. Uh, He went through the gamut, and yet he was able to endure it all. What was it that helped Paul get through everything he went through? This is really interesting because many times he talked about the reward. And to me, it's incredible that he was willing to endure all he did. Sometimes I think that I've been so blessed that I haven't ever been stoned and left for dead. I haven't ever been beaten with rods. I've never been thrown in prison. And I've tried to be faithful and honor God in all of my life, in, in my works, in my writings, in, in my speaking, and so on. But the bottom line is, would I be faithful even if that wasn't the case? If I did have a life of difficulty, that's the, the kind of thing that we're talking about. But in Romans, he says, The Spirit beareth witness to our spirit that we're the children of God. He recognized that. And if children, then heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. So it'll be, if we suffer with him, we'll all be glorified together. 
Then he says this one in verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which God has revealed to us. This is incredible. And we'll, we'll, we're going to look at a couple of verses here beyond that as well. So Paul had his eyes set on the prize, the ultimate goal that he was striving toward by the grace of God. And he didn't let that out of his sight. Um, you mentioned some of the things he's gone through. Share a little bit more about Paul in the time that we have left. Well, it's interesting to see that he, he wrote in Philippians. By the way, that's one of the prison epistles. So it's incredible. He's in prison, knows he's going to die. And he wrote this that to people, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead, and I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's very interesting that early on in his ministry, I like the uh, fact that Paul said when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we that are alive and remain, like he thought he was going to be part of that group, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Well, finally, near the end of his ministry, he realized that wasn't going to be the case. So he wrote to Timothy these words in 2 Timothy 4th chapter. Would you kindly read those to us? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, this passage is often referred to as Paul's valedictory. And we're going to tie this quarter's lessons together with these words. Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Ed, we've been through 12 weeks of managing for the master. We're down to the last couple of minutes. Tie things together for us. What, what are the, the nuggets that you hope that we've been able to gain from these 12 weeks, this journey that we have spent together? Thank you. I can actually do that in one verse. And that verse is Matthew 13, 44. In the words of Jesus, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, sells all that he has to buy the field. My question to all of us, have we found the treasure? Have we found something worth giving up to get to the kingdom? Things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace as we learned in the song. So what I would say to people is put God first. Recognize that he is the treasure. He's the one that has the opportunity to provide the treasure for us. And if we're faithful to him, when he comes back, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Ed, we want to thank you for spending these 12 weeks with us, guiding us through this incredible subject. It has been a wonderful journey, and I have no doubt that many people's lives are going to be changed, not just in this earth, but for eternity as a result of what we've been studied. And I'd like to thank you for joining us for the last 12 weeks. And if for some reason you haven't been able to join us for these 12 weeks, you can go back and watch the archived versions or episodes of this quarter's lesson so that you can receive the blessing of it as well. Once again, if you haven't already picked it up, make sure that you pick up Managing for the Master. This is a phenomenal read and you will enjoy it immensely. We're excited to have had you on this journey. We trust that there are some things that you can now put into practice in your life that will bless you in this world and bless you in the world to come. Next week, we're going to be back with a brand new quarter, a brand new subject, and you won't want to miss an episode. Thank you once again for joining us here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.